Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Yeah, that's smart. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, after this last week, sub-freezing temperatures, no power, no insulation, or anything like that in our house, just freezing in our house, no water, still no water, no water for the foreseeable future, actually. I don't know. Maybe the antinatalists have a point. <laughs> you're finally getting... See, you're you're like that senator with a gay son. Like, <laughs> shit has to happen to you before you're willing to, like, grant the philosophical position. <laughs> I mean, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, first of all, no, I actually don't think. But, yeah, like, this is the kind of shit that people have to deal with all the time that I have to deal... I mean, it's really been the last, like, three or four years for me and my family. But, like, uh, this last one... <laughs> I mean, it was just ridiculous. It was just chaos. It was, there was just, and, 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 you know, there was a time where there would just seem like there was no hope for, like, we had no idea. People were talking about power being off for weeks. It was like 30 degrees in the house. It was like, it wasn't 30. It, the lowest it got down was 39 degrees. But then, you know, we were lucky. We knew somebody that could help, like, that gave us, like, a little lawnmower style generator that could get us to space heaters and stuff like that there's so many people oh, in texas that nice. but that was that yeah that was the, the third the third day of no power and freezing temperatures but yeah that night we had we had a little heat in the house and we were all huddled together in the living room with the dogs and you know it's uh it's fucked and we're definitely one of the lucky ones not the super lucky ones because we still don't right. have water but we're definitely one of the lucky ones and there's so many people who aren't and it's it, it is fucked up like it's unbelievable that this happened like tex in in texas the oil energy capital of the freaking world <laughs> so yeah the, the irony there but at least you have good leadership is what i would say. <laughs> yes yeah no i'm so glad ted cruz got to <laughs> you know spend some time in the sun and craig <laughs> abbott got to like piss on green energy like as if that was the thing it was like if only <laughs> the wind turbines had held out this wouldn't have happened we wouldn't have had to shut down power for like uh, like five million people on purpose on fucking purpose that's the yeah. thing they did it on purpose they had to because they had no backup for this and the wind turbines were a thing but but that's like so little of the energy that that needs to be provided it was all the natural gas things freezing and the fact that they had no preparation for this because it costs money to prepare for a once in 10 or 15 years cold storm and they just didn't want to do it and and right. they don't need to because they don't like if something like this happens they'll be fine they have generator um 
This is uh, viewer, I mean, listeners, if you could see Tamler. I mean, he looks dirty and tired right now. Like this is this is uh, you know on some above and beyond shit recording for our for our audience. <laughs> he has a water bottle of which I can guess is only just melted snow in there. You know, with little bits of dog pee. <laughs> like, we were able to like go to the supermarket and push aside an old lady to get like some seltzer water. <laughs> <laughs> did she did she fall okay was she, yeah. was she, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know like we left the aisle while she was writhing on the ground so i'm not sure um this is, i mean it's terrible i think i i texted back to you that we need to remove our first world status whoever assigns these things but right. you know and not to take away from the terrible suffering that a lot of people are going through there but can you imagine like you know puerto rico after like yeah. whatever hurricane months and months and i think you pointed to something that is i from everybody who I've seen who is going through something in Texas, the not knowing is one of the hardest things, right? Because you really just were getting zero information about water or power from any of your, like, yeah, what anything company or, or from the political leaders. I don't think anybody knew. Like, they yeah. really didn't know. I think it actually ended up on the somewhat optimistic side where most of the state has it right now and had it maybe for like, I don't know, 24 hours, most of the state at least, but, um, and we're recording on Saturday, but, uh, yeah, the not knowing, I'll tell you, give you a great example of that. We finally were able to reach our, our normal plumber that has come here a few times over the years. Uh, like the, the, the phone number was like out of service before, or, or it was just so busy that they weren't taking messages or answering. And we have a scheduled appointment for March 15th. Yeah. <laughs> which is like two and a half weeks from now or something like, and it f actually felt good to at least know that somebody would be scheduled to come here two and a half weeks from now. So that like, you know, showering on a regular basis would be a possibility. Right. Right. Well, you know, I had um, a drained clog for three days and needed a plumber to come out. I should have just sent you some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need. I like clog drain. I should say I said a drain clog. Well, no, we did. So you want to know like how to flush the toilets is an yeah. interesting thing that you don't often worry about. So, but we had so much from the burst pipe. We had so much uh, water in the crawl space that when we got we got our hands on a couple sump pumps and we pumped it out. And I don't know, about halfway through, we realized, oh, we need to save this water <laughs> for, <Right>. <laughs> for flushing the toilets. And so we, we are flushing the, the, our toilets with the water that um, there's something kind of beautiful about this, like circle of life. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> with the water that was like came like burst from the bursted pipes in our crawl space. Oh, man. Hey, has there been and like, what are the like the the poor neighborhoods going through? Like, are there people outreaching like like I mean, emergency services for them? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. There's free water giveaways. Um, if you go down to some convention center, there were uh, a bunch of things open. Um, this guy, Mattress Mac, who I knew only from the fact that he always um gives us some super bowl discount if like one team wins and then hedges on the other <laughs> side of it to like uh but he apparently he opened his doors for so many people that needed it but of course like i you know there's not great reporting here so you don't know exactly right. but of course um there are people who are completely fucked and who don't even know about this cuz they're not they don't they're not well connected to whatever services are available so yeah people died but it's like 
I don't know. I'm surprised it's only like 25 or 30, maybe 50 or something like that. At least that's been reported right now. And a lot of that was carbon monoxide poisoning because people are trying to heat themselves up with their cars. Oh, God. Um, Oh, that is a shitty way to go out. Oh, that sucks. I, oh, yeah, I, so I, was, I was thinking of doing I thought it was a good way to go out. I was thinking of doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you just go to sleep and then that's it, right? <laughs> uh, so anyway, no no Texas barbecue for a while, I suppose. <laughs> no no showers. De- yeah, showers are, t- are are a tough thing to come by right now. Um, it's uh but like I said, like I think we'll be able to shower uh our neighbors are leaving they're getting the fuck out so Man. we might uh, and they have water so so uh we might be able to shower at their house in like a day or two we might be able to shower at houston ballet like the good thing is if you you know we've lived here for 12 and a half years so we know people and um people are trying to help people that's nice it'd just be you know it would be nice if it were clear because even on the national scene, it's pretty obvious like how Texas just as a state is not doing shit. Like, what are they doing? Like, well, did you hear that mayor thing? Did you see that thing where it's no. a mayor of, I think it's Colorado City, some small town in Texas, posted on his Facebook, like, the government doesn't owe you anything. If you're cold, like, find some way to heat yourself. If you're, like, if if you need water, well, think outside the box. The government doesn't owe you shit. You, you're on your own. That's how it should be. And, like, he had to resign after this. But it was, like, oh this rant God. on Facebook. And it was, like, he's the fucking mayor. And first of all, like... What are taxes for? What are like paying your fucking utilities for? Like, what are it's all like? It's like they don't owe you things f- that you've paid for. It's just like it's so sick. Like there is this mindset that's in Texas, and I could respect it more if it was like combined with like okay, so legalize weed and legalize like drug, but it's not even com- or gambling, and it's not even combined with that. It's just fuck you. You're poor you don't have power we're rich we do have power so we're just going to run things the way we want to run them and you get nothing and you have to pay you have to we're going to exploit you in all these different ways and you just have to sit there and take it and that's the way it ought to be like morally that's how they think about it that's like like, ethically that's how it should be it's insane like getting your fucking salary paid by the taxpayer and then telling them that they should expect nothing like especially don't expect anything from me your leader (laughs) You like just because you pay your taxes doesn't like the, mean I have to say nice shit to you. The government does like he literally says like the government doesn't owe you anything. The local officials don't owe you anything. Nobody owes you anything. It's like well, what's the point of even having a freaking government in the f- first place? What's the point of having a town? What's the point of you being mayor? Right. Like it's just unbelievable. And then well, this, the, yeah. No, I was just gonna say that like that that sort of like we talked about. If I remember if it was last episode, like you you would think this might change people's minds, but. But I, I feel the take-home message is just going to be, like, we should all be preppers, you know? And, like, which, uh, um, it's not that I'm against prepping, especially after what's happened this past year. But, but like, it's just going to, they're just going to double down on the don't tread on me. Let's all buy generators. No, I think it's going to be, like, I, it's even more depressing. I was thinking about this. Like, okay, like, Ted Cruz, you know, he's been doing, like, literally, like, the super villain, but it's cheesy. It's, like, too much. Like, you wouldn't do that. And then just, yeah, Abbott. But the thing is, is there's no response. There's no... 
there's nothing that that will convince like enough Republican voters. All they have to do come election time is be like, well, they want to have like this trans woman run in a woman's uh, whatever, like a woman's triathlon. And that's that'll be like, oh, we can't have that. So even though these people don't give a fuck about us, which they clearly don't, like we have to vote for them or else it's going to be like. Right. Uh, it's like a, you can't like, look, you might have almost died of dehydration, but you don't want like. <laughs> Like abortion right yeah. like come on <laughs> like um yeah i know it's just too sad it's too sad it's, we, it's uh, should we say what we're talking about i was today? gonna say we didn't say it all let's we should probably say it and then insert it earlier no fuck that <laughs> yeah today we're going to talk about the critically acclaimed documentary room 237 which is um a documentary where People discuss their theories uh, about the movie The Shining, Kubrick movie, The Shining. So what else do we have? Anything else to say about all this bullshit? Um, there was that. There was Ted Cruz and the Cancun thing, which is very funny. Uh, uh, yeah, the, lo- the levels of irony there. I mean, many people have pointed out, but, but also just, what are you thinking? But I think it's like, I think he's thinking that, like he's thinking that it doesn't fucking matter what I do, because when I run again, um, I will beat whatever. First of all, the Democrats are fucking like they have zero game when it comes to winning elections in even the remotely like kind of pinkish, purplish kind of states. They have zero game in doing that. Like if they win, it's just because people hate Trump enough to like like fuck that and if but they're just so like you know we uh, the the guy that came within a few points of Ted Cruz was Beto and mm-hmm. Beto is kind of a joke yeah. but like the that's the best that the Democrats can do. They have nothing. And so he just knows like, okay, they're going to throw up somebody against me. Everyone will dislike him because he's some centrist Democrat who has nothing to offer. And then um, I'm just going to win because I'll scare people with some cultural war thing about critical race theory or whatever the fuck. Yeah. These, you're you're right to point out. These are like the the world's shittiest villains. Like they're just not even worthy of like, it's like, some mix of apathy and and condescension and like i don't know if you're gonna be evil make it interesting like (laughs) i think this was probably ted cruz's way of making it interesting like in his weird perverted no like no spine no like honor no ball sack nothing like this was his way of being like well i'll say fuck you by going to cancun during an ice storm where nobody has power you know and then but he still, he doesn't know, like, Trump would just do it. Trump would just stay in Cancun and post fucking pictures of himself in Cancun and be like, hope all the people in Texas can uh, get the tan I can get or whatever. Like, because he has, like, he can just be that guy. But Ted Cruz can't. And so he immediately, like, flew home and is now trying to say, like, trying to uh, blame his daughters or come up with some new, or, or apologize or whatever. Like, he'll just try anything because, and this is the thing, like, I think he, he wants to embrace that mantle. But you can't do it unless you're actually like as pathologically Trumpy as Trump, and you and and like when you're ambitious in the way that he is politically, like you just can't do it. And so hopefully he goes down for this, but probably not. Um, I but his, his his career outside of being the Texas senator, I think, is over. Well, that's I my mean, prediction. Yeah, what's what's the next spot? vice president like a, oh God, so he yeah. could he could be a vice president <laughs> he definitely could 
So <laughs> what what president would do that? Like, <laughs> oh, I'll appeal to my. Um, you can insult my wife, and I don't, and I won't do anything. Constituency, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Should we go talk about something that's actually really great and? Um, will put me hopefully in a better mood. Room two three seven. <laughs> yeah, room two three seven. We could get all our conspiracy theories out. We could even include some Texas conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of those. I buy all of them. <laughs> We're sponsored once again this week by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that is easy, convenient, fast, and affordable for anybody looking to make some improvements in their life, whether it's just simply trying to become happier and become a better you, or if it's to deal with some discrete problem that you're having. Maybe you're having uh, issues with depression or anxiety or anger management. There's one thing that I haven't mentioned um, about BetterHelp that I think is a great feature. And that is, it's not just for for individual therapy, but if you would like to seek couples counseling, it's also available. Um, and there's even counseling available for teens. So if you're a parent, as I am, of a teenager, BetterHelp is an option if you're seeking counseling, especially in an online environment. So if you are looking for some help, uh, it's easy. Just go to betterhelp.com. You can get therapy over video chats. You can uh, get it over the phone. You can text chat with a therapist. It's all through secure channels. It's all professional. It's all private. It's secure. And it just removes a lot of the barriers that people might have when it comes to seeking out psychological help. Um, it's available in all 50 states. It's worldwide. So chances are uh, wherever you are, it is an option for you. In under 24 hours, you can be chatting with a therapist uh, that might help you with your needs. So you basically just fill out a form, uh, they assess your needs, and they match you up with a therapist. You can always change that therapist. Um, another source of convenience is that they have iOS and Android apps, but you could do it on a desktop computer as well. So maybe today is the day that you might want to consider giving BetterHelp a chance. And if you're listening and decide that that's want, that what you want to do, um, you can go to betterhelp.com slash VBW and BetterHelp will give you a discount of 10% off of your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash VBW. Fill out your questionnaire, get assessed, and get help as soon as you need it. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the show where we love to thank everybody who is getting in touch with us, who tweets at us, emails us, posts stuff on our subreddit, or comments on Instagram and Facebook, or rates us on Apple Podcasts. That's also amazing. I was thinking that especially at these low moments in one's life, hearing from people, um, seeing connections, I don't know. It's just really nice. It's it's wonderful and necessary. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, if you want to email us, you can email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at peas at Tamler at Very Bad Wizards. You can um, join the subreddit. You can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Um, thank you so much to all of you who um, keep the community alive and who reach out to us, even if we can't always reach back. Yes, thank you. And um, by the way, they're just going to give you one-star reviews now for talking about politics in the first segment. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's fine. <laughs> nothing matters anymore anyway. <laughs> matters. Um, if you want to support us in more tangible ways we very very much appreciate that um, the best way to do that is just to go to our verybadwizards.com and click on the support page there you'll find a few ways to support us you can give us a one time or recurring donation uh, using PayPal we very much appreciate all of, of you who do that um, you can become one of our Patreon supporters um which we really appreciate. And in or order to thank you, we create content every once in a while. We create some extra content for those listeners um, just to thank them and to just have fun with stuff that wouldn't normally be on, on our, our normal feed. Um, if you become one of our $5 and up Patreon supporters, there are a few things that you get. Not only do you get all that bonus content, you get access to our five-part series on the Brothers Karamazov that we're very proud of. Um, you get that in your regular feed. You also get to uh, vote on one of the bi-yearly, whatever, what's the word for that? Uh, when we let you choose a topic. Trans, trans year. <laughs> trans year. <laughs> the year is she, her. Yeah. Um, uh, and we let you vote on, on those topics. Um, that should be coming. We'll, we'll solicit ideas soon, right? Yeah. I believe. So. Yes, I should have done it like um, earlier. I was planning on doing it last week. What happened? I, I have no excuse. <laughs> um, you could also go to the Himalaya, by the way, uh, go to Himalaya.com and download the app for your various um, operating systems. And you can um, sign up uh, in order to listen to that five-part series as well. Or you can give a one-time donation. I mean, a one-time fee and get all of our episodes downloaded there. Finally, you can go to our Cotton Bureau page, also linked to in our support page, if you want to buy one of our, I think, awesome t-shirts or sweatshirts or hoodies um, so that you can look good and support Tamler's bottled water uh, needs. Yes. Toilet flushing <laughs> needs. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for, for all your support. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's talk about something that isn't... Um, at all related to this current situation. By the way, one of the things that I think both you and I appreciate so much about even being able to record, even when it's hard, is that we get to forget things for like the blissful couple hours we're recording about just lose ourselves in something that has nothing to do with the pain of reality. 
Yeah, so. totally. It's like playing sports or something like that. <laughs> but, without, but without the added benefits of exercise. <laughs> yeah. You still get the like aches from like being at the computer too long. And... <laughs> you definitely do. I'm sore in places that I can't describe. Why? Like, are you like jerking off right now? You, uh, you know, if you're asking, I have an ergonomic chair that does wonders for my back, but it hurts my ass a lot. So, so I do feel like not only do you fuck me regularly with the things that you say, but I feel fucked <laughs> regularly. <laughs> when I'm Sounds done. like you, you have a very tender ass. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. You look back behind him, and of course, you can see very clearly because Kubrick was the master of depth of field. He kept everything in focus so he would have lots of space in which to put things that he wanted you to notice. And in the first shot behind Jack sitting at his typewriter, back against a wall behind him, probably 10 or 12 or 15 feet, is a chair. And then there's a switch to a one shot of Wendy saying something. Hey, the weather forecast said it's gonna snow tonight. And then the camera switches back to Jack and the chair is gone. What do you want me to do about it? Uh, all right. So Room 237, directed by um, the documentary filmmaker Rodney Asher. It's an, it, This movie kind of zigzags through the theories and interpretations of five people who are obsessed with Stanley Kubrick's film The Shining. The people are Bill Blakemore, Jeffrey Cox, Julie Kearns, um, John Fell Ryan, and Jay Weedner. Um, the theories range from pretty plausible, in fact, like some of them I'm like totally on board with, to the totally wacky, um, almost paranoid. But they all have, all of them have these kernels of insight. And honestly, sometimes it's hard to tell them apart. Uh, who's talking? Is that the same person? Sometimes you you hear somebody who says something really smart. That's the same person who thinks Kubrick faked the moon landing and The Shining is confessing his faking the moon landing. I don't know, but I think Rodney Asher, the director here, the documentarian, makes the choice never to show their faces. And so he wants us to be kind of confused about that. And he also never explicitly tips his hand about what he thinks of these interpretations. And he certainly doesn't fact check any of them. Like there were a couple times I was like, can you fact check what he's saying? I don't think that's right, but it might be. Um, so you end up with this kind of collage of ideas and possibilities and personalities. And it's definitely about The Shining because there's a lot of cool footage about the shine uh, of the shining and like stuff details that i didn't notice but it's also this movie about conspiracies in general and also art and interpretation it's about authorial intent and dangerous kind of obsession and uh, and and i think this is a really i don't think it was one of the first but it was an early in the genre of like video essays on films and i was wondering whether that has become an art form of its own but before we get to any of that, I just need to know, Dave, which of these theories on The Shining did you find to be the most plausible? <laughs> you know, I was thinking that as I was watching. First of all, I, I, loved, I, I love this movie. I think you're really right to point out that it is a video essay and something like this might. It's good that this got a release as a movie. Um, I think it deserves a release as a movie. Um, not to poo-poo YouTube, but I feel like that's where it would go now. As we were talking before, like the budget was like slightly over $5,000. I feel like there are YouTubers who, who 
um, spend that much. We yeah. spend much, much more money on them. Um, but I'm glad it got a release, and I love I, I I really love this movie for for maybe different reasons than you. But you asked me the question, which one am I most likely to believe? And you're much more sympathetic to the on the face of it plausibility that these people are right. I will agree with you that there are there's a lot of insight despite the craziness. But if I if I have to pick, it's the probably the one. Some sort of combination of the Native American and the Holocaust one, where where yeah. Kubrick might be saying something more broadly about the way humans treat each other in society, um, and uses the maybe uses imagery to communicate that that has something to do with it. Yeah, and that that like this is the way, like as someone says, this is the way uh, states are built, like yeah. through this kind of genocide and whether it's the native Americans or the Holocaust, like I think it might be both of those, but that's what I was thinking of, especially yeah. the native American one. That's, that seems right. Like part of it anyway is it is absolutely about that. There's a line in the movie that I don't even think they talk about in room two, three, seven, but having just watched the shining, cause we did the, these back to back in my family back in the before time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the long, long ago, but like th there's a line where he's taking, he's touring the Torrance family through the hotel and he says, this was built on a Native American burial ground, uh, which, you know, is a standard horror movie trope. And then he says, and uh, yeah, and there are reports that uh, Native Americans, they even had to fight them off like they were attacking <laughs> because we were doing that uh, while they were building the hotel. And he says that as if like fun fact, you know, like <laughs> fun, fun, fun so fact about this hotel. We had to fight off like Native Americans who were pissed that we were <laughs> building this hotel on like the bodies of their ancestors, you know. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, the, the, <laughs> the bathroom is actually 50% Native blood. Um, right. <laughs> uh, we use the like congealed blood, <laughs> like <laughs> right. the piping. Right. I mean, there there definitely is a lot of imagery. Um, but I mean, I mean, look, it is like a, a sort of a you know a hotel that's decorated in that in that way like, you're gonna find in like Colorado or wherever. Um, so uh, the 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 reason that I am even more dismissive of the overall theory um it's sort of because it's built so strongly on the presence of one like baking powder can being strategically located <laughs> like the calumet baking powder uh the, the, pe you like mean a, the peace pipe that's clearly between danny and, and halloran yeah yeah it's in the background of the uh which by the way the background of the dry goods room um, is just fodder for for stuff because the, you know the the moon landing person has they they point to the tang yeah. that's, that's there too. Um, but you know, so one of the things that everybody points to, I think literally every single theorist points to this, is that Kubrick was so precise about everything. Like that, nothing is arbitrary with Kubrick. So. The fact that there was a Calumet can, baking soda can that was a different color than all the other ones or a tang that's there. It's like they can't, it's like it gives them license to fit that to, into their yes. interpretation. This, this is what I want to talk about broadly before even diving into the content of the, of the conspiracy theories of, by the way, which my, my favorite one is the demons fucking humans. I um, love that one too. Just great. Again, I totally like, I, I don't buy, but that one has a wacky little part of it too. But yeah. 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 Um, 
but the the fodder the like the ideal conditions for believing conspiracy in in a movie like this really is Kubrick's reputation because Kubrick was meticulous and detailed and it is not untrue that everything would have been intentional the difference is just that while it may have been he very intentionally placed every single item in that um in that drive like goods room or whatever that I don't think it was purposeful. I don't think that he was doing it to communicate anything. It's just true, though, that he had like crazy, crazy control over every, you know, to the misery of of the actors, as has been well documented. But I mean, like, why do you say that he didn't do that to communicate something? Maybe it's not what they think, but I think he's trying to communicate things when he does when he does those things. He's all not all I'm saying is that it's not a prerequisite. So, so for instance, yeah. his choices of lighting. Um, which I've read about Kubrick's use of lighting, like I think of probably more than any other aspects of his filmmaking, um, were very methodical and intentional, but, they, but they're not to communicate, right? So like he might just be on purpose going for an aesthetic or he might be striving for realism, right? He might be really, really caring that this look like a real dry goods storage room right. in a hotel. So it being intentional isn't sufficient for it to be a, a message. But, but again... You can, as, as they do multiple times, I have like a, a whole shitload of quotes here, um, but as multiple times those people talking, all they, they point to that because that seems like evidence, right? Like, and yeah. how could you not? Like, I don't, bl- you know, I mean, I, I feel a little sorry for some people who might, I wonder a little bit about how normal these people are in everyday life, but we're not told anything about that in the, in the movie. Except. kind of like, yeah. Except you hear like this guy's kid in the background <laughs> as yeah. he's talking to them and you start to get the sense that, uh, yeah, you hear this kid in the background and then you hear that this guy at the end, you hear that he's been out of work for a while and like he's moving, he's thinking of moving his family to a, like an isolated location and you definitely start to get worried about the family. He's even upfront about it. He's like, am I becoming Jack Torrance? Like, you know. <laughs> he, he is the most... Um the most sort of weirdly sober he's like he he's the one that laughs like he'll actually be sort of laughing he he sort of sees how crazy he might sound and he and he seems to be enjoying it more than the rest of the people who are like taking this really really seriously but it's like a nervous laugh with him yeah, i, I is, feel like like that 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 laugh was unnerved me yeah one of the one of the things so um you know, you pointed out that the that, so we never see any of their faces, and it's hard to tie the voices to to the people. And I think that you're right. This was very like purposeful on the part of the director. And I think that them, ble- I think he wanted some degree of them blending together in our mind because what that does it is allows us to see kind of it morphs into one general view on a conspiracy, but then there are clear demarcations. Like clearly, these people would disagree yeah. with each other about a whole lot. But then there's Even so specific much scenes like they interpret them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and if if you feel like like I do sometimes, well, maybe like there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like you and me interpreting yeah. a Borges story. Um, uh, one of the things that always brings me back is like, okay, they can't all be right because they are saying mutually inconsistent things. <laughs> like, but you start to like. It, this is one of the really good things about this movie is like they they'll say something like they're the guy who thinks like this paper tray is a penis. Yeah. Uh, oh my. Which is, <laughs> that one was that is one of the best 
the best ones, like just the way that he uh, reveals, yeah. like as he's telling the story and bam, there you go. Like the paper tray is a huge erection. And I'm yeah. like, what? What? A giant, giant, a giant penis right when they shake hands. And, <laughs> and But that's the same guy who has that kind of interesting thing about the ghosts. I think it's the same guy. Again, like uh, that, that the ghosts are like have – are horny for humans and the, and like Kubrick is talking about that. But then like that will be juxtaposed with another thing in that same room and in that same scene about the impossible window that right. honestly, like I needed this movie when I first saw it to show me that that window couldn't be there, that there's just a right. hallway there behind the window. And then when they keep going through the, the hotel, you realize, holy shit, like Kubrick is not even pretending that this makes sense as a, as a like a as a right. real hotel in any way, and so like yes, he's disorienting the viewer. I'm sure we've f- like feel that on some subliminal level, but I think he also is doing it for a reason. And the the obsession of these people kind of reveals that to us to us, which which is very cool. I mean, you know, sometimes I wonder. So ob- like, I think Kubrick had been asked many times about like what, what he was trying to say with movies and stuff. But I wonder to what extent he would have realized, like, especially in pre-internet days, what, like the, the lengths to which people go to interpret um, his movies. I mean, on the one hand, he'd be proud of creating something that, that is so open-ended and so, but so intentional that, um, that he would cause this response but like, on the other hand, uh, you know, you'd feel, like, what if we found out that people were going through every episode of ours and like writing down coded messages that we were trying to send them? Well, maybe you've been doing that since episode three. <laughs> no, but like, we're not artists. Like, I think that is kind of a great feature of art, which Speak is... for yourself. That, <laughs> well, your beats clearly are. Yeah, I'm, they're all just reverse. They're backmask, satanic, demonic sex messages, actually. <laughs> If you play his uh, Dave's beats forwards and backwards at the same time, you just get like, oh, I hate Jews, I hate Jews, I hate Jews, I hate Jews. <laughs> I don't even love them in reverse. Like, I, <laughs> no. um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I can understand why, as an artist who does, uh, especially films like that, you might just never speak. Like I would want to encourage a healthy degree of that kind of discussion. I would never want to tell people what I really meant if I really meant anything, but right. No, I mean, I think that like, uh, somebody says in the movie that Stanley Kubrick often ends his movies with like a little puzzle, a little Mm -hmm. thing to get people talking, you know, like, and so in the shining, it's the fact that Jack Nicholson is in that picture from 1921. And then it's like, okay, why is he in that picture? So he's always been there and it's actually been him. Like, does that mean this whole thing's been a dream? Does that mean like, no, he was reincarnated. uh, And was he in that picture? Yeah. Then was he in the picture at the beginning of the movie or did he like get reincarnated sent back in time? and then like exactly appears in the picture and and same thing with the the baby in 2001 and the last scene in a clockwork orange where he's like i was cured like what does he mean by i was cured and like the uh like i think he does do that and i think he does it on purpose like this is what he wants i don't think he necessarily wants people abandoning their families (laughs) to uh (laughs) but so i wanted to see if you there there was something that was bothering me um that i found 
all of the people had in common that I didn't realize was bothering me until uh, like, I don't know how long into the, to this documentary. And it was, if I wanted to distinguish what say you and I diving deep for three hours into a short story, which with details that may or may not have been communicated by the author, the difference between the way we would do it and the way these people do it is the certainty that they yeah. have. Yeah. And yeah. that it rubs me the wrong way because like I actually find it to be really fun to do this. Um, but but always be like, well, you know, who knows, right? Like there's always yeah. a sort of like humility that comes with trying to interpret anything too much. And they are just completely like they they use words like, well, you may not. You know, it takes it takes a while before you see this. Like they're referring right. to it as it's th like it's there, and they've seen it, and they're surprised other people haven't. Right. And you know, yes, no, totally, I totally agree. That's the difference between like good artistic interpretation right. and and again, it's not that there's nothing good. There's no, no value yeah, in what yeah. they're doing. There's tons of value in what they're doing, but I am exactly the same way when they're like, well, so this is obviously Kubrick. Clearly, like, Kubrick's uh, showing that the, the, the moon landing was faked because it's the same launch pad or whatever. Right, right. You know, like, it's like, well, and, no, it's not clearly that. Yeah, and they're like, uh, well, uh, Kubrick said, you know, that he chose the room 237 because there was art. But he was lying. Kubrick was lying. And uh, they'll even insert, like, autobiography. Did you catch, like, they were they would talk about, like, sort of how they imagined Kubrick... Um, having read, uh, like, that book on subliminal, like, subliminal seduction. That's, I had the same note, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wait, are you just making that up? <laughs> and then he went and talked to advertisers. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's like, this is what I like about the documentarian, uh, Rodney Asher, not, like, telling us, like, is uh, that true? Is there anything in, like, a Kubrick biography that supports yeah. that? Or is this guy just making it up? Like, what's it, the deal? Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. So I think Asher's silence throughout is is the, brilliant. It, correct me if I'm wrong. I only heard I heard him say one thing. Do you remember? Like I think it's towards the end, right? Yeah, like he yeah, kind yeah. of like prods the guy a bit. And he says like, "Why would he have made the movie this complicated?" Yeah, I think that's yeah, it. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes he's like, "Oh, come on!" Like he, like there's this one guy. It's a subliminal guy. It's exactly that guy. Yeah, he yeah. went to the advertisers to ask what their methods were, and then he took them and applied to the movie, and then. Um, he says, all right, I'm only going to give you one. Like, I'm only going to, like, here, I'm just going to give you one of these. But they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the movie is littered with them, but I'm yeah. only going to give you one. And <laughs> that was the, want to spoil it for us. <laughs> that was the paper tray. Uh, <laughs> he's like, you have to be a complete fanatic like me to spot all of them. And, right. like, I don't expect that from you. But here, I'm going to give you one. And then he says, all right, I'll give you one more. Clearly <laughs> at the prodding, I think, of, uh, of right. Rodney Asher. He's like... Kubrick's face is in the clouds. And I swear <laughs> to God, I looked at the clouds and no, I looked I know. At, it's just not there. It's not there. Exactly. Okay. So, so yeah. So, uh, so the director does, um, so when, when the guy makes a claim about the tray being a, this huge erect penis, which wasn't that yeah. big, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, no, it was he, like normal size. I assume. He shows it. <laughs> He shows it frame by frame because the guy's saying like it's going to be at the frame where he shakes hands. So he is, as the guy's talking, um, Asher is showing us frame by frame movement until the culminates in in the handshake. What he's talking about. He then does the same thing for us for the for the guy yes. then when he says like yeah. this other one is Kubrick's faces in the clouds. Yeah, and he does it frame by frame as if to be like. Like, you thought that first one was crazy? Like, no, yeah. look, I am pausing yeah. this shit for you. Like, yeah. I dare you to find it. 
uh, for that one, he's like, and this one, honestly, like, I think it's harder to spot. Like, as if the first one is kind of obvious <laughs> if you've, like... But you know, yeah, but they the speak of it not as penis. interpretation, as yeah. as a reveal. They're like, yeah, did you spot it? You're like, <laughs> right. Oh, you're not you're not just telling me what you think. Right. You're telling me that it's there. Like, it's there, like Waldo or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm showing you Waldo now. And so, but and, and you can do it. It's it's kind of brilliant. You can do it with the paper tray boner, but you can't do it. Like I couldn't at least. <laughs> No, no, you got to be high on something that I wasn't high on. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And I was high on probably whatever that thing is. And I still didn't see it. <laughs> uh, right, the right. other thing I wanted to say generally is, and, and this relates to what we're talking about, but they all kind of feel the need to explain why they were the only ones able to see the truth. That's and right. There's a specialness that they, they each have like an origin story for like why yeah, they, they have exactly. the unique ability to have arrived at this. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, cause I was covering John Paul, uh, Pope John Paul. And so that made me think about the genocide or, you know, like I was, they have some reason why they're not, they're the ones who are being, and, and <laughs> yeah. all these like really like intelligent film critics and like, you know, everybody like missed this, what it was, what the shining was really about. What really you know? about. Yeah. And, and they talk about like, it's crazy that, that, you know, the people haven't like, this hasn't come to be the accepted interpretation, but yeah, the one guy was like the, the native American, uh, genocide theory guy was like, you know, one reason is I was raised right outside of Chicago. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> because apparently there's a Calumet river uh, close to where he lived. But then, so like, uh, if we can transition to the actual theories. So, yeah. you know, one of the things about this being about repressed sexuality, which, you know, people say about Kubrick all the time, often with justification, but this one seemed like, no, I don't see that. But then the guy, the guy, and I think this is one of the crazy guys, uh, shows the playgirl, you know, that he's reading. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and then like, you know, he, he suggests that Danny has been sexually abused and that maybe he's trying to take revenge on his father in some way. And when you follow that one, it seems a lot more plausible, you know? It's like, is this kind of something that Danny is doing? He is the only one with magic, real magic powers, it seems right. like. And uh, so there's all this stuff, like that one, the possibility of Danny being sexually abused by his dad and the possibility of this being in part about that is something that I never would have thought of and that is a kind of interesting thread or, you know, I don't know, possibility in the movie. Yeah. You know, I, in, in preparing for this, I was reading just a little bit and I did see somebody wrote like what I thought was a very sort of, uh, plausible take on the movie that was like, you know, this is about a, uh, a family going to shit, maybe through cycles of violence. Like the, the father has become, you know, Jack Nicholson is an alcoholic. He's kind of like losing it. And he is clearly being like obviously being violent <laughs> toward his family. You know, they were talking about when Stephen King was writing the novel, he was lapsing into alcoholism. And it's like this these theories only get off the ground because this movie has themes and it is about stuff. You know, and I think that they're picking up on so so we have like the Native American stuff. There's it's not as if the Native American stuff and the Holocaust stuff aren't plausible themes for a movie like this. Then you have the like <laughs> the faked moon landing uh, one, which that one we can set aside because I mean I agree that Kubrick yeah say, uh, faked the moon landing, but like <laughs> I don't think this is his confession. 
Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's actually the hardest part to believe about this is that if somebody who faked the moon landing would be writing, like, would yeah. be doing, like, I'm going to, I want to tell people, but I can't, here's what I'll do. I want to tell people, like, what I went through as I was, like, confessing it to my wife. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to butcher a Stephen King plot. <laughs> and I'm going to say, fuck you, Stephen King. I am going to, put, I loved that. That was my favorite. That was my favorite. Like Volkswagen? The the red Volkswagen. Like, this is my vehicle, and here's what I'm doing to your vehicle. It's getting crushed by, like, an 18-wheeler. That's That that one was uh, (laughs) – I was watching this one with Nikki, and she was like, this is insane. And I was like, that one actually convinced me more than – that little piece of detail convinced me more than anything else um, so that the uh, uh, Catman uh, Scruthers – what is his name? I don't remember his name. In the Scatman, oh, uh, uh, Halloran. 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 Yeah. Um, Halloran. He's trying to get back to the hotel and he comes across like a semi that's crushed a car and it's a red Volkswagen. And in the Stephen King uh, story, apparently the main character drove a red Volkswagen, but, but Kubrick makes it a yellow Volkswagen. And so he was like <laughs> basically killing off Stephen King's character. And I was like, yeah, I'll. That's like the that's like the best little tidbit that I've seen in the movie so far. Yeah, I mean, and I totally buy that he was saying like "fuck you, Stephen King." Yeah. You know, like this Shots is, I'm, I'm going to take what you did, which is kind <laughs> of schlocky of, and yeah. bullshit, and, and some like little thing about alcoholism. And it's like, ooh, it's but it's a horror movie, but it's about our, I'm going to make it like this like masterpiece, <laughs> exactly. and you're going to bitch about it, but too bad. Here, mm-hmm. this is you. You're the red Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so we have the subliminal, and that stuff, that subliminal advertising stuff, that was a wave of moral panic that hit in the 70s, right. which was um, th- this belief that there was like all this subliminal advertising. And it's not as if there aren't actual instances of advertisers trying to sneak in imagery. What's clear now is that like, <laughs> especially clear now, given that we can't replicate lots of social priming studies, is that that stuff doesn't do anything. Um, but, but that was like, you know, people thought when you went to the movie theater that you were getting flashed, like, like the word thirsty so that you would go buy Coke. Coke. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then Joe Camel's nose was a big cock. Right. And I, yeah. And you you seem, you are so much more skeptical about these theories. Yeah. It's so clear. When when I was watching it, I was like, oh man, Tamler's going to like say he might agree with this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah. like, all the continuity errors that you probably think that's what they are, like the vanishing <laughs> chair or the fact yeah. that the um, the storeroom, the, like, really important storeroom just looks completely different going in than it does going out. That means something. It's not like Kubrick missed that. He So they're right yeah. about the fact that Kubrick, uh, he may not, again, he may not be doing it for the reason they say he is. Uh, he definitely isn't doing it for all of the reasons right, that they say right. they are. But um, unless he's, he's that, doing it for unless a reason. He's that brilliant. <laughs> right. Which somebody, I, I want to talk about this, but I thought that was really interesting, like that he's this mega brain trying yeah, to find yeah. the universal global patterns of like human <laughs> behavior. Yeah. It's very cool, actually. But the, um, but he's doing it for some reason, right? So like yeah. you, don't, you don't deny that. I don't, I don't at all. Like there's, yeah, I am, I know enough about Kubrick to agree with them that what you see 
is something that he intentionally did. And the really blatant continuity error, you just know that if that would have happened by mistake, Kubrick would have like sacrificed three of the stage people and like done the scene <laughs> right. 12 more times and then 18 more times, um, you know, killed Shelley Duvall and resurrected her and made her do the scene again. Um, so I, you know, I don't have like, but even then the people didn't have a good reason. They didn't, those were like stretches for them to tie into their theory, if I recall correctly. But I do think that it's plausible that he, in telling a, a supernatural story where by, by like first on first glance, there's not a whole lot supernatural that's going on. Um, I think, I think Kubrick is, you know, being purposefully disorienting like you were saying about the that the uh which the the design of the, the uh, hotel yeah the hotel which is an impossible design if you follow the clues of the movie where it's like well yeah i think when the little kid is riding around in his big wheel it's extra disorienting to not know where he's going right and, and that he, he can just want, jump yeah. floors yeah or that he can floors. go that he can just go to uh, that's why I thought one of the really interesting stuff was Danny exploring the head spaces of his parents. And so when he goes to 237, that's like yeah. his dad's headspace. And then the, the twins are like his mom's headspace. Yeah. who has the same color dress. Like right. this is cool shit right yeah. there. Like, and that idea that that's what he's doing, you know, and it may not be, it may not fit into his larger, more certain theory, but he's picking up on something that I think Kubrick is intentionally doing. And the thing with the storeroom, like as the guy says, there's one thing that you can't explain naturalistically so like everything else it could be like this guy going completely crazy and every time you see him talking to lloyd the bartender or the or, or grady or whatever that's like his imagination but there's one thing that doesn't that isn't like that and and it's him being locked in the storeroom and then grady right. the ghost gets him out and like that's one thing that couldn't have happened you know that he couldn't have imagined himself right and so this guy says that, points that out. That's like everybody who watches The Shining kind of knows that, um, who, who likes the movie. But then his idea is that Danny let him out because like that's this, he, Danny is trying to kill him. That's kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Danny has some control. I mean, and what I remember the first time I watched The Shining, I, I was very confused as to what Danny's powers were. And like what was going on there in that dynamic. And I, I mean, I haven't never read, read the Because it's the a book. weird power. It's like he yeah. can kind of sense things and communicate them with Halloran, but not nothing too specific. And um, right. yeah, that whole thing is very strange. It's like an extra little add-on. Right. So, so here, let me try this, this thought out. Um, one of the mistakes I think these people are making is and I don't mean to be patronizing here because these people are obviously have thought a lot about this and know what art is, but it seems to me that one fundamental misfire that they're having is what an artist is trying to convey with art, which is, I think, much more an emotional tale. Like they want to give you this, this set of feelings and that can be like a coherent set of feelings. But these people think that Kubrick was like trying to write a, an essay and like give them like detailed information about the native american holocaust and it's like what would be the point of an artist to try to like be like you know the i mean the native american genocide was terrible the, the holocaust was terrible and if you didn't know that here's a german typewriter because i need you to know it 
right? Like it's a, it's somewhat interesting point that he's doing this at a personal level to try to get you to connect with like large numbers of people yeah. dying. You know, That's like this, says, like yeah. the, the Paul Bloom point or whatever that yeah. you know you can or the Stalin point. Um, but <laughs> Paul Bloom or Stalin? One of those, <laughs> I always get those confused too. <laughs> <laughs> tomato, tomato, but. <laughs> The, no, the um, and and I think that's that's, but that's like a horror movie kind of trope is like we're, you're symbolizing something bigger from something smaller. So that's right to a degree, but the specificity of what they're talking about is where I think I totally agree with you. They're going awry. Like you're not trying to get illicit for this specific atrocity and I want you to feel this specific emotion. No, right. that's not what they're doing. Right. That's not what Kubrick is doing. Like that's sure. antithetical to like what art, like you said, that's, like that's antithetical to what art is trying to do. That's right. And it would be, it seems like it would be pigeonholing. It, it would be something that Kubrick is better. It's Kubrick is a better artist than to say, I want to make a movie with a bunch of secret imagery about native American holo- like genocide because people need to know about this. You know, he would be like Marlon Brando and just send a native American person to accept, <laughs> to reject his Oscar. <laughs> you know, if he cared yeah. like that, this it's a much, I think, a. a a subtler thing. And, and, you know, one of the thoughts I was having when I read, especially when I read that apparently Kubrick made everybody watch Eraserhead and told them that he wanted this movie to have a, that kind of feel to it. I knew um, he liked Eraserhead. I didn't know that he did that. Yeah. yeah I think I, I, I think I may have read that in, in Wikipedia. Um, <clears throat> David Lynch, um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, like, obviously, you could create any number of theories about any David Lynch movie, and have. but it's all—it's but it's almost like David Lynch is so open-ended that everybody knows that like none of those are going to be exactly right. Like, it's it's less inviting to to say that like like I would never be tempted in a David Lynch movie to say like that that is symbolic of World War II. Like, I would, it would just be like it's evocative of war, but never, I would never think that he was trying to communicate, um, specific facts. He's too abstract for that. Right. I think you're absolutely right about the David Lynch community and the way they respond to the art. And then David Lynch as a filmmaker, like you can, although I worry that we did this with Mulholland drive, but you can, you shouldn't like, it's kind of clear with his movies that you shouldn't try to get too specific, but there was this, uh, video. It's a four and a half hour video called something like twin peaks explained. And it's like an explanation for season three that literally tries to map every single thing that David Lynch did <laughs> as like a metaphor for why he hates TV and why he, he thinks TV doesn't deal with violence properly. And what was funny about it was the anger of the Twin Peaks community to that. There are certain huh. people that loved it, you know, like the certain people that, that was like, ooh, this is cool. But then there was all way more people that piled on the guy and was like, no, you don't get it. Like you're missing the, like, the whole David Lynch point if you do this. Right. And um, yeah. and it's and there was a lot of stuff. I, I, I only made it through like, I don't know, 45 minutes of the thing, but like – there was a lot of things that he was showing that was valid, like these people, but he was sort of, he was mapping it on too closely. Yeah. And that yeah. was, that's like a sin. That's like an artistic sin almost, or an artist or art interpretation sin to map it on too closely. Right, right. And, and a good art, like a good artist is, is not 
going to do one-to-one mapping for you and lay it all out like that. Because again, it seems as if like, well, then, you know, he could do that in an interview. Like, it seems like this is like, what's, what's the point? And then there's the problem of, you know, you, it lose, it loses the power for me when I listen to somebody make a good point and then they, uh, about like what something might symbolize. And then they go on and squeeze like 13 other aspects of the film into that. And you're like, well, now, now I know you're just being like, you know, like a bad social psychologist. You're just like reporting to me, like all of these false positives. Like, right. You right. are seeing what you want to see. <laughs> you're p-hacking the shining. You're p-hacking the shining. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of them uh, even says something that's like borders on a, a realization like that. Um, you know, they'll oh, say yes. I know what you're talking about. I think I wrote that down. Uh, he says something like I, I was I, I he was like, this is the mood landing guy. He was like, I, I you know, an hour into it. I like I wasn't sure I was right. Like, I, was yeah, even, I wasn't I sure was if I was even, right for the first hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, you know, Danny stands up. He's wearing the Apollo 11 sweater. And then I realized, uh, OK. Yeah, it, but, yeah, but what he says, I think you're referring to before that. He's like, I wasn't sure if I was confusing what I wanted to see yes, with right. what's actually there. Yeah, and, and you're then, like, yes, hold that thought for just like a little longer, you know, <laughs> a little longer, <laughs> not just. Um, but I think also here's the thing about this: I think good art also allows for these kinds of obsessives to get in there, and I think Kubrick and Lynch, both of them are aware of that and they're like aware of their ideal art interpreter or viewer but then they also are aware of these people who they know are also going to like come up with some gold even if like there's going to be a lot of whatever it's not gold right Um, you know the the it is it's once they have a theory and they're they're yeah, reverse engineering yeah they're listing everything you know you you can start being like okay maybe and, but when you step back and, and you think like what it would take for an artist to say like, I'm going to have like a, just a shitty picture of a wolf so that people can remember that the wolf and the three pigs Disney cartoon was like, had a section where the wolf dresses up like a stereotypical Jew. Cause that's how I want to remind people right. of the Holocaust. Like it's like <laughs> when you separate it out like that, you're like, wow. Like, and we haven't talked about the woman and the minotaur theory, Yeah, but that's like, that's like one where. It's kind of bad shit, but it's at least it's kind of in the spirit. Also, at least of there's like, a maze. Like, yeah, I can believe that Kubrick thought, you know, this maze that wasn't in the book, and and Jack sort of being a sort of an evil center. Like, it's like the I can I can buy that. You know, yeah. like yeah, and that, like he's thinking which. of the myth and the Ariadne's maze and like exactly. all of that. Like, I, I can buy that. It's just that it get like I don't buy that the skier was the necessarily. The... If, you, if you twist your eye really right and you have cataracts, you know, like, but like, uh, this is why I liked the theory and I don't know which guy this was. And I think he definitely got more specific, but he's the patterns guy. The guy that says that Kubrick is, yeah. he, he just reads everything and tries to find the universal patterns. And I think it's him, but it may even be somebody else who talks about the blood coming out of the elevators, yeah. but the elevators are closed and that this is the idea of we want to repress the past and the horrors of the past, but it will fi- blood finds a way out. And he has this yeah. really kind of eloquent thing that was just seems so right you know like uh this idea that this blood this blood of like on which nations are built he says uh it will come out 
right? Like, right. and that that image is that. Like, whether he intended it or even if he didn't, it's like that is what that image is. The fact that the elevators are closed and the blood is still getting out, that's like the ghosts. The ghosts are haunting us and we want to keep them down, but they will find their way to haunt us because you can't fully move past it. And right. then another interesting thing, and I don't, I think it's the same guy, but I'm not sure, is the idea, well, you have to acknowledge it, you have to know about it, but then realize that it's not present now. So he's like, Kubrick has, fig- has solved the problem of how you both acknowledge the horrors of your past, but also like live further yeah. knowing that it happened. Like that stuff is really yeah, interesting. There's, some, there's but- some wisdom in there. And in fact, the, the blood scene, it wasn't until Room 237, the movie, that I even really tied, you know, this is a, supposed to be a horror movie. It's supernatural. And he's tying, to, weaving together these elements of like, ghosts from the past and i buy that the blood pouring out of the building is a direct callback to the blood that this is building has been built on by you know that um there there's i think just like a very nice way in which those like look you put this building here but that doesn't matter how pretty make the building the blood will like have its vengeance somehow um yeah no, you're right. That's what and ghosts then, are, the guy says. Like yeah. they, they are like representations of the past that won't yeah. be denied, that you can't just ignore. Yeah. Yeah. And you have like I, I also like that point that it's not there, basically. Like you have to that's like the past. It's not there. You have to like realize that it's no the past is no longer there. That's what um, Halloran says. He says, like to Danny, it's like you have to know that it doesn't really exist, yeah. even though it's there. And it's that like tightrope that you have to walk that Kubrick is talking about. And it's true. One thing that is true that I independently fact-checked is that he w- he he was working on a Holocaust movie and doing a lot of research about the Holocaust at that time. So, like, he's clearly thinking about that. But I, this is why I like the broader theories where it's not about even the Native American, although that's the most obvious one that seems most plausible, but just about genocides and the way nations are built in general and, like, how you deal with that how you deal with the fact that these things have happened and they still, it's just something our country obviously with is dealing with all the time with slavery, with the native American genocide, all of that. Like, right. And th- you know, that's, this movie is about that in broad, in, in a broad sense, I think. Yeah. And, and you bring up the, the, you know, sort of the, this Kubrick was famously for many years trying to work on a Holocaust film and, and never made it. And, you know, one of the primary sources of evidence for the Holocaust theory that this guy proposes is that there is a German typewriter that, you know, the, the famous typewriter that Jack types out, um, that Jack's, all, Jack's all typing work. on, all, all work, no play, is a German-branded typewriter. And it again, it's not as if I don't think that if all this stuff was brewing in Kubrick's mind, the imagery of the bureaucratic German typewriter um, being standing in there for some sort of evil of some sort. Like I buy, like, it's not that I think that Kubrick wouldn't have thought about this. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not. Like it, it's almost not important to me, like it, whether or not he was like, oh yeah, German typewriter. But he, you know, the, the director shows some images and they talk about Spielberg, uh, showing the, you know, the Germans and their bureaucrat, the diligent way in which they were exterminating Jews and the typewriter being a representative of this. And I like that. Like I, I, 
I, I don't think that's what this movie is about, but I think that Kubrick will it like on purpose or not might be evoking something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also like he, he notes that Adler in German means Eagle and that that was the sign for like the Nazis, like they used Eagle, but then also it's America. Yeah. But see, like he takes from that almost like, oh, and by the way, that's also America. But actually like what that means is like, yeah. I, like he might be unifying those two things. I wanted you know? to get, yeah, I wanted to get the Holocaust guy and the Native American genocide guy together in the yeah. same room so they could find out find <laughs> which one it was really about. And which genocide are we talking about? And yeah. then, like there, like I'm sure there's an Armenian one that could yeah. kind of <laughs> there, do that. Well, too. I don't know if we've, as a nation, accepted that there was. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> We're still repressing that one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So a, a lesser film, um, would have had these people as talking heads it would have had the director pushing them on the details and it may have even had them interact with each other to talk about this and none of that is here and and i like before like we stop talking about this i i mentioned to you right before we started recording the segment that i saw a few uh, of the reviews um when the movie came out that seemed to think that this movie was about theories about the shining and they were disappointed that none of the theories were that plausible to them and i thought like that is just such a profound miss about what this is this movie is about the human mind and like the fucking like the way that it works and like how how you can see every one of these people picking up on some very reasonable things and not being able to let it go like an obsessive mind but this is this this is about these characters and about the abstracted human mind as pattern recognition and and not about like who has the best theory. No, right, which is why he kind of blends them together. And yeah, it's also exactly. about like that's a point that you made that I hadn't really thought of. It had bothered me a little bit that they were blended together, but then it stopped bothering me. And I think it's yeah. because of what you're saying. And it bothered me too the first time I saw it. I was like, I want to know a little bit more like how these theories are. And then <laughs> yeah. like when I watched it again today, I, I realized, oh, okay, that's kind of the point. Yeah. yeah and I think y- you, your point about how they never bring them together, I think also emphasizes their kind of isolation yeah. and the kind of isolation that you feel when you're like have this kind of conspiracy theory that, you know, not every like – you're shocked that like how is this not obvious to everybody yeah, you they're know? all like, like a lone voice in the wilderness right yeah like, preaching exactly. preaching the, the 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 truth that has been revealed to them um, and and and, and so, you know like i think that's for one of the guys that seems totally true you know like and, well, for two of the guys there's the guy who just says i'm going to take my wife and son <laughs> to the to like an isolated place and i'm out of work yeah. um and then there's another guy that says like he thinks the government because he's the moon landing guy yeah. he says the government is I, I fully expect to be audited he says yeah. i what does he say like i i've had visitations i don't even right. know what he means by that they're definitely watching me yeah they're like definitely men, watching men me. in black right yeah um yeah yeah um and there's where i start to feel you know this movie didn't present these people as instances of overt mental illness like that that part like i'm inferring a little bit into what these people must be like but that wasn't the point of this movie it wasn't like you know watching a hoarder's tv show and and you know feeling like so they're they're suffering in their misery um but i can't imagine that these people aren't you know 
probably having some some <laughs> some difficulties. Not um, all of them, though. Like I disagree about just, all of them. Yeah, it might yeah. just be their secret passion. Right. You, know? you might not know that about like like I didn't know that you were convinced that UFOs had visited the Earth. You know that you secretly well, now have a you stash. know that they definitely have, and that I was right. But whatever. <laughs> I was able to tell from the Playgirl that I saw in the back of the frame uh, <laughs> from one of our conversations. <laughs> Can we talk uh, about Playgirl? Because Kubrick doesn't do anything by mistake, so I can't imagine why there's a play girl. Because he's that's like he's molested. Because he's Danny. molested Danny. Yeah. Because all gay people are child molesters. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is he? Gay? Are you gay if you do that? Um, <laughs> no, I mean I think that's the idea, right? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know that Danny's been abused, and this is his idea. You know Danny's been abused, and now you're showing that Jack might not might have some interest. Oh, and apparently according to something, I don't know if this is from the movie or like the one thing I read about it, but like there was something on the cover that is about pedophilia. Oh, incest. It was about incest. incest. Maybe yeah. it's about incest. Yeah. yeah. So that's what, um, so maybe that's what it, that's, that's the idea. I mean, again, like why is it, it it's Kubrick. That's such an unusual thing to do like it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie that he's right. reading a playgirl that like there's no reason other than something right you know and, like and there, for he's any other have something in mind there yeah for almost any other director i would say well look somebody could have it on the set as a joke put a playgirl there like for that Me. take you know yeah um but but i don't think it would happen here can i just like there are a few um Again, not to mock these people, but like their some of their statements are kind of mockable, and I wanted to go through some of the details that are that they find in the movie that I found the least plausible. You know, we've okay. talked about the ones that are meaningful. So you talked about the the poster of a skier where she's like, clearly that's a minotaur. Yeah. Um, there is there's a point where you know one of them is is big into the number forty two, mm -hmm. and um, you know we know this like like when you buy a Toyota, you see Toyotas everywhere. Um, but at some point he points out that there are 42 cars in the parking lot. And I almost paused that shit. And <laughs> like I wanted, yeah. cause if there are 43, like boom, falsified, <laughs> um, he gets crazy. Like he's like, uh, the thing that's on July 4th, 1921, 21 is a yeah. multiple of seven, yeah. which is also like divisible by 42. Like, you know, yeah. that's, uh, he's starting to get into some serious numerology. Yeah, yeah, numerology. Um, then the moon's the moon landing guy is who says that, uh, Kubrick was lying about why he chose room 237 is that that's, that was the number of the sound lot or, or, the yeah the sound lot where they filmed the fake moon landing and also he says <laughs> it was the it's the approximate no, yeah. the average distance in right, miles right, in, th right, in hundreds right. of thousands of miles between the moon yeah. and the earth and i'm like which one is it motherfucker like you can't tell me that it's both of them <laughs> totally uh, i had that same thought like uh well that's just a coincidence you'll admit <laughs> that that's a coincidence right like that that uh or maybe Kubrick, as he was staging the moon landing, was like, oh, you know what would be cool is to uh, <laughs> <laughs> number this after the, yeah. yeah. There is uh, one, the dopey, uh, the the dopey uh, oh, yeah. Snow White and the Seven Doors. There's like a continuity or perhaps, or maybe in, in the movie, the kid is supposed to peel it off. But there is a dopey uh, stuck, an image of dopey stuck next to kind of like where the light switch is in one scene. And then the next scene, it's not there. And the guy's like, he see, he's saying like, we're not dopes. 
Like, no, Danny's not a dope. He's Danny's seen not it. a dope. Yeah. 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 But no, I totally buy that. But something about the audience too, not being yeah, a dope. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Danny has seen it, and now we've seen the past. But yeah. that's guys. I think one of them, like, like that's the pattern guy that I kind of liked because of how broad his theory is, and then that's too specific, right? Yeah. It's like it's like he has this thing about pattern recognitions, about the horrors of the past, and 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 trying to acknowledge them, but also not let them destroy you. But yeah. then he also is like the dopey is there because uh, is there at first, but then not there to show us we're not dopes we're anymore not dopes. or Danny's not a dope anymore. And it's like, well, that's <laughs> too specific, right? And like, and like of all the ways to try to tell the audience that they're intelligent, like, you know, that this, yeah. um, uh, is that the same guy? It must be who, who, uh, in, in room two, three, seven, he points out the pattern on the rugs and he's like, clearly that's intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like the little sperms and then it becomes more like mechanical and once you yeah, go out to the hallway i mean it's it's, it's interesting the, the pattern difference right. but yeah yeah and uh, you know i mean kubrick loved framing those symmetrical shots and and i'm sure the patterns were you know there is a scene where the ball comes rolling down oh yeah um to the kid and then um the ball rolls down right down the line of one of the patterns on the carpet in that room. But then the next shot, he's like flipped the orientation of either the kid or the pattern so that the ball is now no longer on the side yeah. that had the line. And that actually, I was like, you know, that could have been an aesthetic choice. He might've been like, well, for this shot, I want, I want that as the background. Like that's one of those where I, you know, I could, but imagine. I also think like he knows that that's completely, yeah. impossible yeah. and he's right. just doing that in this movie and the, as the woman says like he this is he's he, that's all over the movie like all these impossible things yeah. like at first it's like the window it's like whoa what's the significance of the window but then it's like oh no no that's like the whole movie is like impossible shit happening which is again is also like dreamy and there's a guy and i don't know who this is who talks about this being like a dream yeah he also says he has this like well here's like i didn't realize that people understood dreams as well as he thinks. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking, I got to show this in my interest life class. <laughs> yeah. That every day it's like adding to find the patterns, right? And that Kubrick is. Yeah. Um, I have that too. He, he's like a meg. Kubrick is like a mega brain that is boiling down all of these patterns for us or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his theory is, you know, it's, it's not a, too bad a summary of what some people might say but that um that your brain is consolidating your memories of the day and he thinks it might be integrating it with all the rest of the patterns and I, you know we are perceiving things holistically in a way that we might not notice um and and i think that's what kubrick is doing what really what's a, the contention would only be how specifically intentional is he doing right like because I think he's described a good director. A good director is giving us patterns that are causing us to like have some sort of insight. But you know, funny. I was watching like a documentary about The Shining. Like, there's this very cool. You can find it on YouTube. Like, 25 minutes where you just see him filming stuff, and you see him kind of being mean to Shelley Duvall, but then also like her having a little bit of Stockholm syndrome about it. And then you see uh, before, Jack yeah. Nicholson. What, have you seen? I, this? I may have seen that. That sounds very familiar because I yeah. remember being struck by how Shelley Duvall was acting around him. Yeah, like, but like. I th he's very like anytime anybody's asking him something like he's very dismissive about the movies like it's just yeah. a ghost movie it's like a bunch of ghosts like don't yeah. worry about it but you know that that's not how he is 
right? Like, so I think that he is intentional about some of it, but he's also intentional about what he leaves open-ended for all the reasons we've been saying so that people can't just solve the movie like it's the usual suspects. Like, that's, that's, I think, very much antithetical I think we've even said this point about like David a David Lynch movie, but also of a Stanley Kubrick movie. Like you're not supposed to be able to just be like, oh, Kevin Spacey is, was Kaiser Sose, and now they, that movie is done. That's the way of like that's death to right. what I think they're both of them are trying to do. But yeah. for some reason, you're right. Kubrick invites it more than Lynch does. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's coy with it. Yeah, I I was reading something, um, and I copied this quote that is just along the lines of what you're saying. So this is uh, his, I forget the name of Diane Johnson. Is that the co-writer maybe of, of the script? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She said very often crew members asked him, can you explain that to me? Johnson recalled to entertainment weekly. And he said, I never explain anything. I don't understand it myself. It's a ghost film. Then yeah, she, right. she goes on to say, you can't imagine how much fuss was made over the big golden ballroom and the big lobby and huge windows that could never have fit into the hotel based on the establishing shot from the outside, any child can see that. And Stanley's explanation was, it's a ghost film, forget it. It's not a movie with a serious message. And But that's just total bullshit, I think. It's from uh, his point of view. Or at least that's, I don't know. So, I don't think he... Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm, I, I kind of agree with you. I think one, how fucking annoying would it be for your sound guy to be like asking you the deep meaning of the movie? Right. Like, well, you know, yeah. what are you going to say? Like, actually... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I do think when he says it's not a movie with a serious message, it's not that I ag- agree that there this wouldn't be a serious movie. Obviously, Kubrick is taking it seriously. Um, I think Kubrick does not have a movie in him that wouldn't make people like you and I think that there was a serious message because he's a good filmmaker. He does. He's not making Freddy Got Fingered for fuck's sakes. Like if a movie right. comes out of Kubrick, I'm gonna pay attention to it. Like, but he's also not making like the sixth sense no, or something right, like right, right. that, the, where it can the usual just be was unlocked. A perfect, yeah, the usual suspect was a perfect. Um, right, the minute you said that, I I started thinking to myself, well, has Cooper? I mean, the killing. I don't. Re- I mean, the killing is. And we just watched it last night, actually, oh, or two nights ago. Yeah, yeah. and you know that's yeah. just a noir. It's a great noir. But, it's a great um, new art, yeah. but it is so genre. It, it, you almost could not see like if you if you didn't know it was by Kubrick, you no, wouldn't think yeah, it was absolutely. by it. Just by like a really yeah. cool like heist film mm-hmm. that is. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it was early. He was young, <laughs> um, and also like, but 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 there is these little things like that final shot of the two people coming out as he's as William Holden is being caught, and there's a bunch of tracking shots, and there's a bunch of things that once you know that it's Kubrick, it's like oh okay, I see it. Yeah. I see it, but it's also very much a genre movie um, that he, he, like he's always doing messing with genres, but this is squarely in the genre movie, yeah. like yeah. so that you would believe that it was just a guy who was trying to make that's a right. genre movie and that's it. And I believe that he probably was still putting a lot of effort into the shots and making them, you know, uh, totally. do, do 30 takes, <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not that early. Yeah, I mean, I think he was always like this. Maybe he was definitely he was. like this by the time of Dr. Strangelove and uh, and Lolita and stuff. He sounded like real hell to work with. Like, um, well, except that like, 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 again, I think it's like people also say I've learned more on his shoots than anything, but then you wonder if it's Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Okay, Nicole uh, Kidman and Tom Cruise, same thing, like, 
they went through absolute hell and sacrificed like a year and a half of their lives and careers to do it. And like, they're like, but yeah, we got to work with Stanley Kubrick. Right. Um, and maybe they were just miserable while they were doing it. I don't think Shelley Duvall would. <laughs> but like um, David Lynch is not like that. People love working with him and he's not a terrorizer. So I think like it just depends. Yeah. And Kubrick, I mean, it is, it is, if you, obviously, if you care about film, you already have read more about Kubrick than, but, but just even like the, you know, Kubrick's use of lighting, like every piece of lighting in this film, I read an interview with his like lighting director and, uh, it's all practical lighting. It's all built because they could build the set. He was like, we're going to build. So practical lighting means that there aren't big lights outside of the frame. All of the lighting in the movie is uh, s supposed to be part of the feature of the environment that you're being shown. And so, um, so that just means that they would put like, s you know, super powerful lights in what would otherwise not have those powerful lights, but just because he wanted it all to be. And like the amount of time that it would take, even when you look at like the, the maze, you know, the, the beautiful shots of the maze with the lights. Uh, built in there to the bottom of the, in the like snow banks it's pretty amazing um and and you know like barry linden which is the movie he made before like i think he only used he only natural, used lighting. natural lights yeah, yeah that's why it's so fucking dark. which is amazing <laughs> yeah and it's it's psychotic but it's amazing yeah. and that um and yeah he he did that a lot he did that in like the ballrooms scenes and it's like it looks almost a little dim because yeah, of that, but right. that creates a kind of feel that he wants you to have. And he's like such a master at evoking those things. Yeah. And the unease, like The Shining, well before I was like a film, a self-styled like cinephile, it fucked me up. Like it freaked me out. I can remember watching it on some shitty TV uh, in college with Jen. And like, we were like, we couldn't, like we could barely get through it. We were so terrified. Like he gets you on that primal yeah. level before you start wondering whether this is about, um, genocide or the moon landing <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. You know? Um, I think that, that people were expecting in, you know, this is end of the seventies, right? 1980. Um, they were expecting like a horror film in the stylings of what horror films were to them back then. And, and so like early reviews were kind of disappointed in it as, as that, but it is freaky. And I remember, you know, I think we've even talked about on the podcast, what we show to our kids. And I remember showing Bella the psycho shower scene when she was very young and did, she didn't give a fuck. I showed her, I think the twins and maybe the elevator blood. And she, she just did not forgive me for having like scarred her. <laughs> she really, yeah. And, and like just the scenes of like, she's coming and bothering him while he's working or just not even bothering him. Just saying yeah. like, Oh, we have a big snowstorm. And he's like, I am trying to, you know, just yeah. like the way he talks to her there. Do you even know what it's like to have responsibilities? Do you even like some guy makes something about, I think it's the moon landing guy, but like, just watching that, it's like, this is a guy who, who is terrorizing his family and who's terrorizing um, us as he's doing that. And then the whole Danny stuff with him talking to his hand. Yeah, and so weird. It's so, so fucking, fucking weird. weird. And the big wheel, the famous big wheel yeah, steady tours cam of the shots. hotel. Yeah. Those are incredible. Like, it's, it's a, he's so good. He's yeah. amazing. All right, um, we should wrap well, up. Well, let's wrap I, up. We might, we might have a plumber coming, although... Yay. Uh, we've been told that before, but, uh, plumber's going to come and chance. be like, yeah, yeah. You got a burst pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we've, we had someone who came from next door and as soon as we told him it was in the crawl space, he's like, Oh 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have this call. I have these. Well, they all have like fifty, like yeah. fifty thousand people calling them, so they yeah. they can be a little picky about what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. All right. Well, uh, I enjoyed the documentary. Uh, we sh- you should I watch it. It's I think easily available to find. Um, you can like on Amazon if you sign up for um, IFC Films, oh. you can get it for free oh. for a week, like for or you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say something crazy here to end. Okay. Which is um, on some metric, which is do I want to watch the movie? I like the documentary better than The Shining. And it's because The Shining actually makes me uncomfortable enough to watch that, that uh, like there's something that deeply disturbs me. But also, I don't care for Jack Nicholson as an actor that much. Um, but that's just to say, the documentary is where, like, you don't need to love The Shining to, like, enjoy this documentary. All don't, right. Don't cry. Join us, ne- join, join us next time. <laughs> <laughs> join us next time for Very Bad Wizards. <laughs> Just a very bad wizard.